Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Our gospel reading today is extremely important because this reading will be read at mine, and uh, most likely if you're a practicing Episcopalian when you die, your funeral. Happy Sunday. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but the reason why is because death is the big looming unanswered question for us as human beings. How many times has the clergy staff asked, what happens to us when we die, Reverend? Do we come back to this life? Where do we go? Is it a better place? And I think this idea of where do we go? What's this place that we're going to? What is this? This is the important question because without an understanding of place, without an understanding of being settled, life is extremely unsettling. Take a look at the current uh, refugee crisis going on in the world. Um, The New York Times back in uh, September um, interviewed a number of the refugees and from that interview, Almost all of them exclaimed the worst part of this situation was not having a place, being uprooted from a place. A place becomes your anchor. You know the saying, where, where, you, where home is where your heart is. A place becomes the rock for you as you weather the storms of life and all that's thrown at you. My grandfather and grandmother had an amazing home that I used to love to visit as a child in the summer. My heart was in Newton, Iowa, most of my childhood. And my mom has some of their old furniture in her house still there, and when you go and walk into that particular room where all of that furniture is, you get that faint smell of their home, and all of these memories, warm memories, come flooding back of that wonderful, wonderful place. It's really interesting, this idea of place, though, it's so true, because when my grandfather died, there was a tremendous amount of grief, as is to be expected when a good man dies. And the service was well-meaning and filled with a lot of eulogies and how great he was. And finally, the big idea, it was a very waspy service, and the big crescendo, and I was in college, and I wasn't quite walking out the faith anymore at that point. I was doing my own thing. But the big crescendo was that Lewis Mack was in a better place, to which I wanted to scream, are you kidding? Like, really? Because from my vantage point, here we are at the cemetery, it looks like he's going into the ground. That is his new place. Where do you get off? By what authority can you say he's gone to a better place? Did you ever go to their amazing home? That's a better place. At that moment, for me, taking an honest look at death, that was unsettling. Because it appeared to be that place was at an end. My grandmother was going to move into something smaller. All of this was just being unsettled. And this brought the reality of death and that unsettling, what place are you speaking of? To light. And this is why the gospel, this particular gospel, is read at funerals. 
Because here in John chapter 14, at this last supper, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says a word of immense comfort. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am there you may be also. Death is so unsettling when it's really looked at honestly. We've cleaned it up. But this is my first point. On the eve of Jesus' own death, a night that was not going to end well for any of those men, when all of the disciples' hopes and dreams in Jesus were about to come to a crushing end, Jesus delivers a promise. Jesus delivers a vow in line with all of the other promises he's delivered so far in John's gospel. A vow and a promise of a place prepared for them. And if you know anything about great places when you think about it, the real anchors in your life, it's not so much about the place, is it? As it is the person and the people who made it a place. I mean, when I have memories of my grandparents' homes, when I really think of the place, there were a lot of ferns and like newspaper and Time magazine articles, a piano that was out of tune, but it was a great place. I'm not thinking so much of the home of my grandmother and grandfather. I mean, I'm thinking of them and the love that was shared there. When you think about the amazing place on your honeymoon, I mean, I'm sure Bora Bora was amazing, but it was with your spouse that person that made it amazing, or the places you've gone with your friends. The place is great, but it is those shared memories with people. It's the person, oftentimes, that makes them great. And see, this sheds light when Jesus says, I have prepared a place for you. He's not speaking so much of some sort of abstract vision of heaven that we oftentimes have concocted. What Jesus is speaking of here in John chapter 14 is his own work, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. He's speaking of himself. This is why when Thomas asks, Lord, how can we find the way? And Jesus is like, have I been with you so long? Jesus doesn't give a list of directions, does he? No, rather consistently with how he is taught in John's gospel, I am living water, I am the bread of life, I am the vine, you are the branches, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus tells them, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Let me briefly unpack for you the meaning of this, these three statements, these three declarations, because so often they're used as a bludgeon, but, but, but they're intended to be immense comfort as you face the dark hours of your life. When he says, Jesus says, I am the way, what he is saying is, is he is the one who stands uniquely in the breach between a holy God and fallen humanity. And because he stands in the breach as the only mediator between us and God, in his flesh, he has put sin to death 
and in that he has destroyed death. And it is in this capacity of our, as our Redeemer that Jesus didn't simply come to show the way. Do you remember that corny song that everybody used to sing, you came to show us the way? No, he has come to be the way, reconciling a fallen world and fallen humanity to the Father. And so because he is the way, this makes Jesus the truth. Not a truth. Most people are functioning henotheists today in our society. We believe in one God, but there are many paths to get to him. But Jesus is saying that I am the truth. We live in an age where people think the truth is malleable. Unless, of course, it conflicts with our ideas of truth. The Babylon Bee, my favorite uh, satire newspaper, and if you've never read it, I encourage you to do so. But they pointed this out back in January with their headline entitled, Culture in which all truth is relative is suddenly concerned with fake news. That's indicting, isn't it? Jesus, when he says, I am the truth, A lot of people talk about incarnation and, you know, living incarnationally and all of this, and that is a misunderstanding of the theological term. When we speak of the term incarnation, we are speaking of God in flesh. And so when Jesus says, I am the truth, Jesus is saying that he is the incarnation of the truth, specifically when it comes to speaking to the lie that God doesn't love you. Speaking to the lie that you haven't done enough. Because you haven't done enough, so he's done everything. Speaking to the lie that you have no value before God. Jesus is the truth, the incarnation of God's love for you. His passion to save you. And the truth that God forgives sinners. And as the truth, then, this makes him uniquely also the life. All the way back to Genesis. He is the creator of life, and he himself is life. I love how St. John of Christostom once wrote, he said, he is the life that death itself cannot overcome. Jesus goes into death, and death must surrender the spoils. It takes God in the flesh to do this. And so this is my second point. Place in terms of where we are going or what is coming to us is not so much about an abstract destination as it is a person. Jesus Christ, the righteous, the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. For the Father sends the Son, the Son sends the Spirit, And you are on the blessed receiving end of the speaking. The proclamation, the announcement that your sins are forgiven and that you are loved by God. So draw near to the throne of grace by faith to receive help in your time of need. You hear the words of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And in hearing you are set on the way, the truth is revealed, and you have life. And so because I'm not speaking of some sort of Philadelphia cream cheese abstraction, but a person 
Christ given for you, there is real command when he tells these troubled disciples. There is real authority and power when he proclaims to you through this word, let not your hearts be troubled. Because this promise, this vow, of a place prepared is also given to you as you face the uncertainties of your life. You don't have to help set it up because it's already prepared for you. And today, this promise is given to you and you are reminded of that promise through word and gathered around this table. Your Your past, your present, your future, Your sins, your failings, your death. Whatever the cause of the trouble, whatever the cause of the anxiety, whatever the cause of the fear, the guilt, the shame, Jesus has gone the way of death and resurrection for you. This is my third point. And never forget it. You have a place. You have a home. And in Jesus, you are never lost, but you're always found. In Jesus, you are never dead, but always alive. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. He and no other. By faith, trust in him. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.